voice of the musical. Welcome to Voice of the Musical. If you find us on iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast for free. If you like the content, please leave a rating or even better, a comment, because we'd love to know what you think. But now, I feel very honoured to bring you an interview recorded in January of this year, 2012, with Charles Strauss, composer of Annie, the revival of which is currently in previews on Broadway. Charles Strauss, a very warm welcome to Voice of the Musical. It's a real pleasure to be talking to you. Um, you're somebody who has a, a career which is you know, very long and very distinguished. I wanted to start by asking you who were your inspirations, both in terms of musical theatre, but also in terms of classical music, because that's kind of where you started out. Well, I, I would say that the... the uh, deepest inspirations were uh, my mother who uh, was a musician uh, and uh, but she she played jazz and popular music of its time mm. and uh, I grew up with uh, the happiest moments in our family really when we all gathered around the piano and she would play uh, the latest you know popular songs uh, I was precocious and uh, uh, graduated. That is, I I, don't, I forget the word you used there, but I got it. I left uh, the uh, preliminary schools, the uh, what we call the the public schools. There are all different names there, uh, and uh, I went to university at at fifteen, which was very young because I was uh, what they called precocious, uh, and uh, when it came to the choice of universities. Uh, I, by this time, had studied a little piano, not much, but uh, enough to amuse my parents. Mm -hmm. And so I went to a music school, uh, the Eastman School of Music, and uh, a very, very, one of the finest music schools in uh, in the world, really. And uh, from then on, my career as a composer was set. I worked with good composition teachers, and I absorbed a lot. I had never heard, at the time I went there, I had never heard Stravinsky or, or Copeland or, or anyone like that. I mean, kind of in passing, I had heard Beethoven and mm -hmm. Mozart, but uh, I didn't have any strong feelings about uh, classical music, but I absorbed it, and as I say, I had good teachers, and uh, when I graduated, I, I had an ability to play jazz, which I inherited from my mother, so I worked a lot mm. in uh, as a jazz musician. Um, I got a scholarship uh, to a place called Tanglewood, mm -hmm. uh, and I studied uh, with Copeland. I was at Tanglewood for three years, and, and I studied with him uh, two years after that, so um, I studied with him a long time. Wow. And and then he got me a uh, a scholarship to work with Nadia Boulanger mm. in, pa in in Paris, and uh, I spent a year there, and I was hooked. <laughs> uh, the idea of doing musicals, it was always lurking around inside me, the glamour of the theater mm -hmm. and all that. But I thought my career as a serious composer would. Uh, take precedence, but it didn't. Uh, the uh, uh, the jazz was in me, mm. so that's really why I gravitated to 
to musicals. What did they think of musicals at, at Eastman? No, there, there, there was no connection to it. Eastman was a, uh, a, a rigidly a music, rigid music school that mm. uh, that taught counterpoint and sight singings, uh, uh, that that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, harmonic. We we analyzed uh, you know the music of I don't know Beethoven, the Beethoven quartets, and Mozart sonatas, and things like that. Uh, we we started out by uh, as we got more and more familiar with it, trying to write, uh, say, a sonatina in the style of Mozart, and uh, not as easy as you think. At least not for <laughs> me. And uh, but when I got out, I I played in a lot of what you might call commercial venues. Mm. I, I played piano in in bars. Or pubs, mm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I gradually uh, became rehearsal pianist for uh, shows because I could transpose. Uh, I had a certain dexterity, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I guess you. Were, I was hooked after that. Though I continued while I was living at home, I continued writing seriously, but I was hooked into the theater. Mm -hmm. And how was the atmosphere at Tanglewood at that time? Because you had you had Copeland. Was Kusevitsky in it? In Kusevitsky was uh, running the whole thing, yeah. and uh, Lenny yeah. uh, Bernstein was uh, was the, uh, the 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 prince, mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> uh, we became slightly friendly. And then uh, towards the end of his life, we became actually very friendly. Yeah, but. Uh, uh, I was starting to get the message that, that nobody was playing my first piano concerto. <laughs> I've written a couple of piano concertos. Nobody was playing uh, uh, symphonic pieces I had written, mm. including Lenny. Mm. And uh, although Copeland had been very uh, supportive of me, uh, I just fell into this other world mm. and of course this other world as you know or I wouldn't be on the phone with you <laughs> is is very uh, uh, glamorous very enticing and and uh, uh, you know you meet exciting people beautiful women or men if that's your choice and uh, and um, so I've never turned back mm. and how and what did the, uh, the the rigorous classical training give you as a theatre composer? I'm thinking of uh, especially, obviously Copeland was a very serious composer, and especially his his early works were, um, you know, were, were really quite formidable um, in yes. terms of that, you know, taking on the European aesthetic. But um, but he was also a very very theatrical composer, you know, yes, with the ballet and the music for theatre and so on. So, and did that influence you at the time? Uh, I would say those things all played an influence with me. I mean, the serious side of him uh, was uh, was very clear. He was uh, he had uh, classical roots, and uh, but what Aaron had, which was uh, I'm leaping over your question uh, <laughs> in a way, but what Aaron had more than anything else was an ability to. Uh, encourage you to write more. He very rarely criticized. The closest he would come to critic criticizing you was, uh, uh, you know, to point out 
you know, very basic things like uh, you use this key. You've been in a key. I was writing tonal music mm-hmm. then, but very Stravinsky-esque. And, mm-hmm. and you've been in this key for a, a long enough. Why is this next section, which is uh, supposed to be uh, uplifting or exciting or uh, somehow to uh, encourage the music to... Uh, why is it, why are you using so much E-flat in there? Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically... Basically, which is the best thing for me, I think for any composer, uh, he would say, keep, keep writing. I want, bring me another 20 measures, you know. <laughs> and uh, he was complimentary, and uh, I think he liked me. I know I, I loved him. I, I really loved him. I was so impressed by even being in his presence, but I never was in, although later on in his life and in mine we became somewhat close we we would have lunch together or something mm. but i always felt uh, that uh, you know he was a man who was gay and uh, i was a man who was not and i have a feeling that i was not in that circle mm-hmm. uh, that included you know a lot of uh, people although that was not necessarily a driving force mm. with aaron uh, but i felt as though i really loved him he came out to see works of mine. He even gave me one of his commissions, which he didn't have time for, which was, I think, very encouraging and flattering. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I feel I remained, he remained my friend uh, till the end of his life. It's often a tricky thing, isn't it, that the teacher and the students, I, I think that there's often, oh, yeah. after that, you, you know, after that very intense period, there's often a, a period where you have to go away and you know go out in the world for yourself, and then and then very often coming back, you know, later on with a bit more experience and uh, and wisdom, um, and often the friendship starts up again. You know, it, it, yes, that's it's a very. I mean, I think if you write music or anything, I mean, it's a very sensitive thing what you give of yourself and what you're able to accept from somebody else, both academically and he he. He was terrific, and, and uh, he was able to cross all those borders. Mm. So then to Nadia Boulanger, who was an extraordinary figure. I mean, um, you know, at, at the linchpin, at the linchpin of so many um, movements, really. I mean, she was bringing back, um, or, you know, Baroque music and and, and beyond, and uh, and she was also an inspiration. I think Gershwin met uh, met with. Boulanger, didn't he see. met with her. I don't know how long he studied with her. Everybody uh, mm. knew her or met her. Uh, and uh, I've read what I remember as conflicting stories about Gershwin, mm-hmm. that he did indeed want to meet her. Uh, and uh, whether he did or not, I don't know. I do know that he met Ravel, uh, who uh, uh, declined to take him on as a pupil because he said... <laughs> My God, the music you write and and the money you make and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it was a. There's always a funny thing about you know people who have a popular success, although Ravel did. He was as close to anybody you know who really had popular success in yes. in serious music. But uh, Gershwin was unto himself. I mm. mean, he was just a. Uh, even today, I marvel at you know so many of his pieces. They, they they seem as though they're part of my life, that they've always been there, and indeed they have, 
I like to think that I uh, drink from the same well. I <laughs> don't think I. Uh, I would like to think I have that that gift, but uh, I haven't shown it yet. I've written another piano concerto since then, and I'm very eager to be, uh, you know, a, a fully rounded composer and use uh, the, the background that Gershwin had, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But that my love of the theater certainly uh, paralleled his, and that's about all <laughs> I can say about myself. So what was it like to be studying under Boulanger? What was that? Because obviously, presumably you had never, I mean, I'm making huge presumptions now, but presumably you'd never left uh, the States up until then. That's correct. That I'd never left the States in the way I'd never left mommy. <laughs> uh, and uh, she was a, a magnificent. Uh, I worked with her for almost a year uh, in Paris and uh, and went you know, to her studio all the time. She would have informal concerts. She had a uh, a wonderful characteristic, which is what I feel sure uh, Copeland absorbed from her too, which was a way of I don't know exactly how to put put it, but seeing the way the uh, the bud has uh, started to flower. Mm. Uh, or, or, or to, you know, however, to encourage the growth rather than uh, 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 straighten it out. It's a hard thing to do because uh, you, you have a certain intelligence and you, you say, well, I'd like to impart that to this student. I like him. I think he's talented. But to refrain from that so much and to just encourage him to say, that's nice. Uh, uh, now we go we go more mm. now she was very much into uh neoclassic stravinsky which everybody was at that time mm. i was too so she had a tendency to fa to favor uh, uh what i'd call neoclassic uh design uh, that is uh, the the way something is not repeated or repeated mm -hmm. and the uh, uh the freshness of 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 using a uh, a natural after a lot of e flats or something mm -hmm. it was a uh, but she was basically uh somebody who like a very very loving parent uh she was a psycho psychologist in a way mm -hmm. she like a loving parent she she tended to want to make you grow and that was wonderful she also said because she listened to music from my childhood when i was trying to make my mother laugh and all that and I was plunking out things she insisted on hearing tunes I wrote when I was six years old <laughs> and uh, and she did tell me that I had a gift for light music and which to the French is not as frightening as it is to the Germans and uh, <laughs> uh, the I don't know the, Fr the French are very, very likely Mio people like that are yes. very likely to write very light music. Yes. So she encouraged that aspect of me, and uh, I liked her very much. And that's it. And also, I guess they the, in, in France they have a reverence for the balladeer and the the chansonnier as well. Yeah, yeah. a lot of the Europeans and then the Americans uh, derive this Germanic thing. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a it's a confusing thing because uh, you know on the on the one hand you're encouraged when you're a child to to sing 
to to have music that sings, mm. it's uh, it's a wonderful thing. Music does sing, uh, you know. Uh, and then on the other hand, the the theorists and people who uh, have the kind of uh, I don't know what to call it mechanical mind. They they see beauty in the fact of of carving the carving the piece in such a way that that a new identity it, it's like that painter who used to uh, uh you know drip paints on the floor yes. they're absolutely beautiful but nobody started out that way uh, uh so i must say my my uh, interest in musicals uh ran counter to that although i still have the itch to write something that's more that's deeper more um, that's deeper, more complicated than the uh, than all. But my successes have been on on very lighthearted musicals. Have you always have you always felt that tension of um, wanting to do? I mean, I know that obviously Lenny had had this thing of of you know serious music and, and musicals and um, you know the, the burden of being an American composer. Do you do did you feel a tension between wanting to make your light music serious and your serious music light and so on yeah i i i did i do on i'm very conscious of the fact that that so much has happened in the field of uh, electronic music and uh that uh rock itself uh you know we're given meaningless credit but you know for writing the first rock musical bye bye birdie yes. but that was an attempt to kind of jolly it uh, uh but i'm very aware that the the most popular music in the world today unlike the time when i started writing musicals hmm. uh is uh is not only rock music but a, a certain a kind of a complicated uh, rock music or a certain kind of repetitive rock music mm. that seems to set uh, people at a concert uh, afire, you know. Uh, I've seen, uh, mostly on television, uh, uh, you know, concerts start with a uh, uh, the drum going... And already everybody is screaming and it's not even a real drum. And I think this is... It's a weird comment on civilization that that uh, that somebody has a record, well, a recording of something that goes, dum, 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 dum. lights start flashing, and everybody starts uh, uh, getting passionately uh, excited. Uh, now that that it runs counter to a lot of things. I, I, as I say that to you, I think that uh, maybe in Vienna it was the same. You know, when when, when Strauss, the other one, mm. uh, the famous one, yes, uh, you know, started and then went into this uh, beautiful thing. It's something of that. It's a community of interest. You're sharing things, and I don't know enough about the history and you know the way the human mind works but there's a lot that's happening that way that mm. makes me feel like an outsider <laughs> and uh makes me feel as though i have a conflict about whether i want to join mm. or disdain mm. and uh that can be to somebody like me very uh disturbing 
So after after France, um, you came back to the States. Um, what, what, what sort of what, what year was this? Was this sort of coming out of the? This must have been oh, pre war. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I really forget. Uh, it's. Uh, uh, I would say I came back before Bertie. I know I came back before Bertie, mm. and I was uh, when I wrote Bertie. I was uh, I was thirty. Or, 29. So um, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I can't subtract uh, from what I am now. I'm 83 now. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. But it, it was uh, it was a, a, the beginning of a uh, time in New York where nothing was happening for me. I wasn't getting my serious music played. All I was doing was playing rehearsals and auditions and, you know, the typical guy around the theater. So how did you meet Lee Adams? We met at a party. It, it was it was pretty simple, and uh, he had uh, gone to a school in uh, in uh, Ohio, Ohio State, and he wrote uh, the uh, the college musical there. And so he was, you know, dying to continue that. He, uh, that had been a success there. We simply liked each other. We were very comfortable with each other. Uh, he's a wonderful writer. Uh, the reason we stopped writing together was a very simple one, and that is he didn't like my kind of life. Uh, it, uh, he he really liked to live in the country. He was mm. in the born in the country, and he married. And after uh, Bertie, when I thought, oh, now we're ready to go, you know, he married this woman. Uh, subsequently divorced, but uh, but moved away. Whereas I'm a compulsive worker. Uh, I'm even now rewriting something. I mean, I just love doing it. Mm. Lee, it was a is it, is not that way, and uh, that's why it happened. Mm. And he, I, I recall you saying he was a he's a country boy, and you're a you're a city boy. I would say that's a quick definition. So tell me about. Bye bye, Bertie. Because it was it, you weren't expecting it to be the runaway hit it was. I, I gather. Of course not. No, the uh, the Broadway and London theater, uh, Broadway particularly now is um, is so full of of traps mm. having to do with real estate and money and availability and so many things and yes. and the one thing that happened with Bertie was a new writer whom we had to push the producer to take, Mike, Michael Stewart. Mm. He wouldn't accept them because we had just worked together in, in what we call summer stock. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but we, we knew how talented he was. And, uh, uh, and somebody having the most, uh, uh, really the most unpopular theater in New York who just had an opening, but even then we had to beg. And there were, we, we played it for everybody. For over eight years, <laughs> we played uh, Birdie for people. And people walked out of the room. Nobody was interested in rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Nobody was interested in this show. And there were no stars available to us. None at all. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, there was a there were a series of uh, weird coincidences. For instance, uh, originally I don't know. Have you ever seen Birdie? I've never seen it. I only know the soundtrack. Uh, 
Well, it, it's uh, the the story uh, hinges on uh, this uh, guy marrying a Spanish girl. I mean, mm. being in love with a Spanish girl and ha- having a mother who can't bear that idea. Mm. It's it's kind of uh, well, you can imagine. I'm sure they have that kind of family and uh, <laughs> in Britain, uh, yes. Thing. Yeah, yes. it's like if you mar- marry Irish or so, uh, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, it wasn't written that way. It was written originally for a Polish girl. Uh-huh. And uh, the woman who was to play it uh, got sick. And uh, one of us had the idea, why not use Cheetah? Cheetah was a, a, a good good friend of mine. I had written... A lot of uh, musical uh, called the Shoestring Review, and I was the musical director of it too. Yeah, and she was uh, its uh, one of its performers, and so we said, "Why don't we use Cheetah?" And she was, she was, she thought that was amazing. She would love to do it. Then we couldn't get a guy, and the a guy I knew by the name of Dick Van Dyke. I'd known <laughs> him because I was playing rehearsals for another show yeah. that he was in. We used to talk, and. Uh, uh, he thought he'd, I, I thought he'd be good for it. He came around. Nobody liked him. We kept looking for other people, but he kept coming around <laughs> and coming around. We finally said, "Oh, let's go with him." You know, he sings okay and all that. And uh, the, it, you know, there's so many there's so many uh, instances of luck, lightning. Yes. I mean, yes. why does it strike there? Uh, Dick turned out to be, you know, such so great. I mean, I don't have to tell you, he's become a great international star. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it was all luck. Mm-hmm. It, it was all things that couldn't happen. Yes. Finally, somebody came along uh, after eight years uh, from uh, Texas uh, who was in oil and had a lot of money and who was, we thought, maybe a bit of a fool. <laughs> but he actually sat and listened to it. We used to play the show ourselves. Yeah. I mean, that's what people used to do. Uh, and uh, he, he said, I like these songs. They're, they're nice. And uh, he put in the money. Yes. It was uh, that simple and that complicated. Nobody. Had, uh, and then we had a great, great help from my um, uh, great man by the name of Goddard Lieberson, who ran Columbia Records. Mm. And he liked the songs too, and you know we finally got it on in this awful theater that nobody ever went to, and it became a hit. I hate to stop. Could I pause just one second? I just need to get to the door. Sure. And then I'll be right back with you. Many apologies. That's okay. Thanks. Right, right back with you. Do apologize. But that's okay. (laughs) It's it's so funny because that. Is something that's so unusual <laughs> in broadcasting, you know. Yes, it doesn't happen on NBC, or, <laughs> but I, I think that's nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, had, I spoke to um, to Sandy Wilson last week, and um, you know, he had oh. to, <laughs> he had to stop to take a pee break halfway through. And that's just, it's, it, it, uh, he's still around. Though. Oh, very much so. Yeah. I just love the girlfriend. That's yeah. I would say I put that up there as my favorite show. Yeah, the boyfriend. Yeah, it's it's wonderful, isn't it? Absolutely charming, and oh, um, you know, and he is. It, it's it's very interesting because um, you know you're talking about coming from uh, from reviews, you know, post-war reviews, and she's exactly the same the same sort of curve as as uh, Sandy, you know. I know post-war optimism and uh, create, you know. Yeah, if you do know him well enough. 
to tell him, please say how much I love uh, his stuff, oh. uh, and particularly that show. Yes. I think the tunes are just delightful, and uh, uh, the the, uh, the atmosphere of the thing is so so catchy. I, I certainly will pass that on. He'll, he'll be delighted. So, working with stars, I mean, that's something else that you had in have in common with Sandy at that time. You were writing for big big names, Cheetah Rivera, and, and obviously Dick Van Dyke, who wasn't a big name but then became one. Um, what, what does that do to you as a writer? Well, Cheetah was not a star, nor was Dick. Mm. Uh, our next show, uh, the star quality of it kind of hurt us because I think it was a wonderful show, and we got a star director, mm. uh, who was Joshua Logan. Mm and uh, who was a great, great friend to me and a wonderful man, but he was in a very bad period of his life. And mm. uh, I feel that he really hurt a show that we were doing called All-American. Yeah, this is 62. Uh, that we wrote with uh, Mel Brooks that could have been, and I've seen it in other incarnations, a, a very funny and, and, uh, and touching show, but it was, it, to my mind, cast all wrong. and. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and he was not the man for this show. Mm. So, but he was a star, and uh, Josh, he had, you know, won all kinds of awards and written and directed South Pacific, etc. Uh, the show after that was, uh, I think, Golden Boy, mm -hmm. where uh, it, I think I made more money on that show than I've ever made in my life because <laughs> even though it had so many problems, it. Uh, Sammy was such a great star that it was always sold out. Yeah. Uh, until he left, he played it, I think, in three three years in America, and then he played it a year in London. And uh, it was not the show that it could have been uh, because we originally had a British director, a man by the name of Peter Coe, uh, who was a friend of mine from he had directed an opera of mine mm. and of course I was a great admirer of uh, was it Oliver that he did mm, yes and uh, he he directed uh, Golden Boy to begin with and made the, uh, uh, the horrible mistake of of uh, of treating people on the stage as though they were um, uh, not scenery exactly, but he would have a crowd that would act as a, say, a wipeout or a, or a cover, or uh, and the loneliness of this uh, this young black uh, boy, Sammy. Uh, he would very often stage it, so Sammy was in the back of the stage, and that went on for about three weeks. And Sammy doesn't like me anywhere except in the front of the stage. And uh, uh, there were many complications like that. It goes all the way down the mm. line. But Sammy was really running things. Mm. And uh, so Peter had to be fired, mm. which was awful for me. Yes. I, I love Peter. Uh. And um, um, But that was probably the biggest money-making show I'd ever had. And uh, it's one of my, if not my favorite score that Lee and I wrote. Uh, I do love that score. And um, so that was dealing with the star, and it was very difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, after that, uh, Lauren Bacall was certainly a great star, but she was a she was so nice. Uh, I mean, I would never 
describe her as nice, but I just did. <laughs> she was very good to me, but she, she was she was tough, but uh, she was quite real and open, and I had a good time with her. And this was on the show Applause. Applause. I'm, I'm figuring out who else uh, stars. I think those were the only stars I ever worked with. Though they are stars today, many of them. So you had a real run of uh, of shows with um, with with Lee, um, and then of course, as we all know, you met Martin uh, Charnin. In fact, that but Annie wasn't the first. This was at a time when when Lee was away, and uh, we never. Uh, I mean, he knew that it bothered me that he was never around. Mm. He didn't like work the same way I did. Mm. And uh, it, it was that simple. Uh, we remained good friends. But uh, when uh, uh, Martin called me and said he had an idea for a show, which, by the way, I thought was awful because we had done It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman. And uh, that didn't work commercially, although it's a wonderful. I love that show. Yeah. I had more fun writing it than anything. Uh so I wasn't hot to do it, but I, I'm hot to work all the time. So uh, so you, you weren't hot to do it because it was another comic strip? No, it had nothing to do. That, that, that's one of the reasons why I was not hot to do it was because it, it, it was another comic strip. But uh, as I say, I, I love, as I sense you love doing what you do, I love working. And, uh, you know, if that's the commission, so to speak, although it was hardly that, everybody was unknown, uh, yeah, we worked on it. We worked very hard on it, and uh, it got good. Mm. Uh, it got good because we kept on making changes, listening to the audience, uh, reading the critics. It didn't start out good, mm -hmm. and then it became uh, probably the biggest show I ever had in my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one of the biggest shows of the 70s, um, yeah. without a doubt. Just Just to pause and think about... The business of show business, the business of of, of having a, a career, uh, and it's a it's a strange thing. And I, I, I every time I ask somebody about this, I, I kind of hesitate because I um, because when I when I ask it, it, it sort of sounds. I, strange. I absolutely know what you're getting to. <laughs> so say it. Yeah. Uh, so, so I mean, what do you feel about your 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 career looking looking back over this sort of you know really? Big well, I'm not looking back on it. I'm looking forward <laughs> on it. Well, that, that's yes. uh, uh, my my answer. I, mm. You know, the commercial success in this world is is uh, is is of course absurdly difficult to come by, mm. but it is not the answer to life itself. It's mm. not the uh, the silver chalice. It's not. But sure, I wish I had it and uh, 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 other hit shows. Um, uh, and I don't uh, right now. But I, I don't uh, lament it uh, overly. I mean, I feel bad about it in some ways, but uh, it, it's, uh, you know, it's the same in every aspect of life. There are certain, certain people who... Uh, you know, as I as I stutter this answer, I don't know how to answer it. You know, <laughs> it's what you think of yourself. Mm. I love composing. Mm. I would say that sustains me more than anything else. That the putting together of notes in a way that I consider uh, graceful or surprising mm. or uh, 
interesting in a way that uh, uh, got that is my my greatest pleasure, mm. or it's my second greatest pleasure. I don't know. My perhaps my first greatest pleasure is to uh, have it all recognized, mm. Uh, mm. and um, I'm quite aware of what you're you're implying by your question. I don't have a big show now, a uh, new big show. Uh, Andrew, Sir Andrew, uh, has one, you know, and, and has one that's still running. And uh, I think it's it's remarkable, uh, aside from thinking he's very talented. And uh, uh, I actually like Andrew very much. When one of my shows, uh, Rags, uh, opened on Broadway, uh, Andrew called me and uh, told me how much he liked the score, which meant a great deal to me. Mm. Mm. So, um, you know, it didn't work. It's mm. now getting performed quite a bit elsewhere, uh, but not. It, it's not known as the show. It's not in the American consciousness like many others. And uh, sure, I like that. Who doesn't <laughs> like it? Uh Beautiful girls, champagne, you know. But I mean, I think, you know, for, for anybody looking in and saying, well, if I could have written Annie, that would have been just fine, you know. Um, well, it's not fine with me uh, <laughs> because, no, not because of uh, anything we're discussing, but I really live to compose better. Mm, mm. Uh, the success of it is very meaningful to me, don't get me wrong. But on the other hand, if I write something that I think is good, I'm I'm an extremely happy man. You you mentioned your work your your love of composing and that well that's sort of evident to anybody with with half a musical ear um you know could you tell me a little bit about the process um for you um and, and also whether it's whether it's changed over the years obviously you you know approaching classical music in a rigorous way how how do you how do you sit down and uh, and and go to melody it's a it's a very uh, a deep question. I, I don't know whether I can answer it properly because it's a question uh, I ask myself virtually every day. Um, there are there are things in the uh, in the air in your mind when you sleep when you dream uh, that you're not totally aware of. Their meaning, you know, it has something to do with your brother or or your father or uh, music that you've heard before. Uh, in my case, it has to do with uh, feelings I have about worldly success. And I would say that when I sit at the piano uh, and I strike the note C, let's say. Uh, the going to another note or combining that with another note awakens certain things in me that I can no more describe than a dream. Uh, why did I dream such and such? I mean, I know the character in the dream is somebody I don't like, and uh, there I was, let's say, in, in the same room with him in a dream. I don't know why that note... Uh, brings forth certain, I would say, ethereal feelings. But as a composer, with and with one with certain training, uh, I grab onto it. I grab onto that the 
the C going to an upper D flat is something that my fingers may have uh, suggested to me, but there is a there is another quality that uh, it's like stirring oatmeal or something. Where I, I, I think, wouldn't it be nice if I put in a uh, uh, an A natural and, a, and an F sharp in, in in there? Now, why I did that, I don't know. One of the things is I've I've uh, been familiar with with many with harmonies of many composers. Uh, but the other, I would say, it's as explainable to me as a dream. I, I don't know. I really don't know. And people through my lifetime have said to me, oh, that's very talented. That's a very nice tune. Or, or even, you know, my, compo- uh, my composition teachers have said, uh, uh, that's an interesting choice. I don't know exactly why. I do know that in 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 terms of the the question you asked before this, that the the dream that I'm having is not the same dream that Mick Jagger has. Uh, I think it's the same dream, oddly enough, as as Mozart had. Although I don't dare compare myself with his genius. I don't mean that, but that's the kind of dream. I have of the music going here and there, but it's not the dream that that I believe Mick Jagger has. Of, of uh, uh, first of all, I ain't built well like he is, <laughs> uh, and second of all, my desire to show off, which is as intense as his, goes in a different way. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm the uh, I tend to be the quiet guy in the room even though I'm talking a mile a minute here. <laughs> but that's because you're asking very, uh, you know, uh, agreeable questions. <laughs> the answer is, in short, I don't know. But I prefer to tr- uh, treat it as it's happening, if I'm in a good spirit, as a dream. Mm. Look look what happened. That, that, that D-flat that I played with my pinky that I didn't mean to play mm-hmm. uh, suddenly brought up something from deep in me that there there could be a g or uh and and is that a melody so i sing it you know and i say no but if i reversed it i don't know after that it it becomes uh it should become unconscious to me mm, mm. There's that comment of Chopin's that you know, as he was dying, he should think, I, "I'm I'm just getting it now. I'm just learning how to compose." And I, I, I certainly, you know, though again, not n- nothing like as lofty as uh, uh, as Chopin, but that that sense of, "Oh, now I get it. Now I sort of have some sort of insight into what it's what it's all about." And then and then you go to somewhere else and you and you feel it again. Chopin said that. Mm. I, I didn't know that. I, I would say that that would be something that I would uh, I would agree with. Uh, I'm, I'm not uh, conversant with much of Freud, but I've, I've read s- some Freud of his analyses of uh, dreams and things, mm. and I would say that I'm not familiar with it, but that lack of familiarity itself uh, shows the, the complexities of the brain. Mm. Um, now, it's not merely the tonality of that C and that D-flat and but there's something else, and it is too complicated to explain. Mm. But I'm sure a lot of composers also feel that 
at a certain point of their life, they know what effect it has on people. Mm. As one comes into a room and you shake hands with another man and uh, uh, he, you treat him, you're dressed in your best clothes, let's say, mm. you, you have an idea of how you're affecting people. Mm. And here it becomes even more complicated because the people that you affect are very often professional critics mm. Mm. Uh, whose taste is uh, unarguable in the, uh, and it's also very finely trained. And you say, well, when you say hello to them, it, it, there, there are all kinds of uh, implications mm -hmm. about uh, uh, does he like me? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, I say almost like Chopin. Maybe I'm just learning to compose. I don't know. What were the moments in your life? If I'm the, again another intimate question, but were there sort of lightning bolt moments for you as a as a composer, either in terms of a melody or a, a, a sense of a piece where you just went? Wow, I've I've got I've, I'm reaching somewhere higher here. No, no, I can answer that. the The ones that I've done uh, have been done in uh, haste, under pressure, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, apparently liberating for uh, for me mm. when I think about it. And oh, wow, this is that hasn't happened for me mm. much. Mm. So it's the it's the deadline. It's the um, you know the rehearsals approaching or in in progress yes. perhaps yeah yeah or or getting from point a to f uh, i mean you know in uh, point a to b uh, it's the getting there you know you got to get there and you got to get there in a uh, time that has been sent set up by you or something there there's something liberating about not thinking about it mm -hmm. I, I, what I was wondering also, have you done any teaching? Have you taken up to any, any students yourself? No. Oh, well, I had a workshop at ASCAP for 15 years, but mm. um, I just did that because I had the time, and I thought there was something I could impart to people, uh, but I, I started boring myself after, <laughs> after a bit. I gather that your uh, piano concerto has now been performed. My piano concerto is going to be performed. Yes, it was performed by the Boston, uh, and uh, it got uh, one absolutely magnificent review and one terrible review, <laughs> and uh, has not been done since. But my school is honoring me, and uh, I'm preparing the, uh, the parts for them now. They're going to do my second piano concerto. Looking at the kind of current scene of which you're a part, obviously, but in, in terms of the way that... Uh, Sondheim and perhaps the post-Sondheimian composers, you know, the, the Adam Gettles and... Um... I know Michael uh, Lacuse's music fairly well. He's mm. a good friend of mine. Uh, I, I, I find uh, very often uh, that he goes for the wrong note uh, on purpose, and I don't know why I call it the wrong note, but it uh, it feels that way to me. I, I I don't know why I, I think he's a terrific composer. I love that uh, uh, that uh, thing he did about the uh, uh, the Greek myth and the music of of Adam Gittel. I know very f a few things. I've seen everything of his. The only ones I know uh, a little bit in my mind are these uh, are a recording he made of 
of myths and hymns or something, and uh, I like them enormously. Mm. Uh, but I, I, I've seen uh, uh, the latest, you know, that musical... The Light in the Piazza was the, the most recent. Light in the Piazza, I saw that. Mm. Mm. And uh, I, I generally liked it. It, it didn't... Uh, it it did not seem to have for me. I don't know. I don't want to say. You know, it's mm. not like I'm criticizing him. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. Uh, he's certainly a gifted man. Mm. Mm. I just I just remembered you also contributed a song to um, to Hello Dolly when the parade passes by. Yeah. That... So that's a that's a very complicated story. Let's, <laughs> let's we're such good friends, uh, Jerry and I, and all. I don't want to go into that anymore. Yeah. It's in my book. If you ever read my book, mm. uh, put on a happy face, mm. uh, which I'm, last week I got my first check that meant that I used up my advance, which I was very proud of. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, I think it's a good book. Do you have any general advice for, for new writers um, or anybody that, you know, kind of embarking on this, this crazy business? Uh, nothing that I would... Uh, that I could compliment myself by saying it's good advice. I hope for them that they they learn to love it. Mm. You know, people have quoted to me a remark of Confucius that if you love what you do, you never do a day's work in your life. Mm. Mm. And uh, I, I've had teachers along the way that have imparted to me the importance of that. And that, that's what the only advice I have. Do you have a favorite moment from one of your songs or pieces that you would you know, take to your desert island or you would like to leave, <laughs> to leave you know, not that you're leaving anytime soon, <laughs> but... Uh, do... in, my, in my coffin. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I do. I mean, uh, I've been looking over my second piano concerto. I have a lot of favorite moments in there. Mm. But uh, in the theater, one of my favorite moments was uh, when uh, Bacall sang Welcome to the Theater at the end of the first act mm. of, uh, of Applause, which is a, a really favorite moment. I love Lee's lyrics. I like the music I wrote and uh, what it did. It was the best first act ending I've ever written, I mm. think. Mm. Are you able to sing any of that for us? Welcome to the theater. If I were by the piano, I could play uh. it. To the magic. <laughs> To the fun where da, 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 and flowers grow and laughter rings fortissimo and treachery sweetly done. Now you've entered the asylum, this profession unique. Actors are children playing hide and ego seek. So welcome. Miss Eve Harrington to this business we call show. You're on your way to wealth and fame. Prevent, achieve your claws and join again. You'll always be dead. I run out of memory. <laughs> but uh, that's one of my favorite moments. I've had a lot of favorite moments. That's fantastic. What are your current plans, if I... I am doing something very audacious, but I, I really like what I'm doing. I'm writing a book. I'm writing the book, words, and music for a new musical. Uh, 
And uh, then also I'm doing a huge piece with uh, Richard Maltby mm. uh, 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 called North and South, based on uh, oh. uh, uh, the uh, two friends uh, who uh, become great friends. It's not about the Civil War. It's before the Civil War. And, uh, and they become very fa- uh, fast friends. And uh, it's all before the war. And uh, it's just a, it's a it's a story of 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 this friendship and and the north and the south. Uh, so we're working very hard on that. Oh wow! Yes, I mean that's a it's an enormous novel, isn't it? Oh boy, it's a trilogy, so it's it has operatic intent. And w- w- what was the opera that you wrote? Well, the one I had done in London. I've written a few, but the one that uh, was done in London was uh, it was with uh, Sarah Brightman. Oh, Nightingale, it was called, Nightingale. Uh-huh. And it got wonderful reviews. Yeah. And Sarah was fantastic in it. And uh, it ran an appreciable length of time. And mm-hmm. and as I say, they were among the best reviews I've ever gotten in my life. And nobody's picked it up. Well, the, re- the recording is available somewhere if you if you choose to hear it. I, I, I certainly shall, and I you know I hope that the um, the, the listeners of the podcast will this will encourage them to go out and you know listen to to some of the dumbest sc- the scores they may not know. You there, know. Uh, there was a show that Lee and I wrote in London called I and Albert, yes, which remains a great favorite of mine. I think it's some of the best songs that we ever wrote, and a lovely story. And with the exception of some American critics who liked it a great deal, uh, the British critics hated it, slammed it. Uh, I was very hurt by their attitude about it. I thought it might be anti-American in some way, but Mm. I'm well beyond it. But I thought it was a wonderful piece, and they didn't. Mm. Uh, John Schlesinger one of your own directed yes. it. I have no doubt that there was uh, there was some, should we say, patrician feeling um, in in the critics' take. Yes, um, I, I felt that it was just plain anti-American uh, because I think it's a, and there is a recording of that that uh, that's around somewhere, and uh, I thought it was quite wonderful. You know, it would be great for people to to hear some of these some of these numbers. And as I said, listening to listening again to Bye Bye Birdie and. Um, just, just gorgeous, just glorious numbers. Really, show showbiz muscle, um, but very, very, <laughs> but very smart. You know, very, very smart. Um, and and even you know, I was listening to Annie and and listening to those songs that we all know so well, and just sort of thinking that you know that the way that you place that chord in tomorrow, just taking us into an unexpected place. You know, you, yeah, you, that's the lovely thing about composing is it takes the closer into an unexpected place too. Mm. And if he's uh, shrewd enough to recognize it, it's great. Thank you so much, Charles, for joining us. These um, insights that you've given us are absolutely fascinating, and um, I hope it will encourage people to go out and listen to a whole lot more of your your scores. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Welcome to the theater, to the magic, to the fun, where painted trees and flowers grow and laughter rings fortissimo and treachery sweetly done. Now you've entered the asylum, this profession unique. Actors are children playing hide and ego seek. So welcome Miss Eve Harrington 
to this business we call show. You're on your way to wealth and fame. Unsheathe your claws, enjoy the game. You'll be a bitch, but they'll know your name. From New York to Kokomo. Welcome to the theater, my dear. You'll love it so.